Welcome to this special edition of the Old Grad Podcast. I'm joining you today from my basement in Metuchen, New Jersey, and it occurs to me it's December 31st, 2022, and I have only done three or four Old Grad Podcasts this year. And I'm wondering why it was only that number. It, a lot of reasons. I mean, so much busy. It was so busy at work, and I have to feel like I wasn't that motivated this year to do it either. Uh, and I, I'm questioning why that is. I mean, I think ultimately I was doing these podcasts for a reason. They were going up to our 30th reunion and I was building up to the 30th reunion and I was excited for the 30th reunion. We were doing our fundraiser. We had a purpose for this podcast that was like outside of just bullshitting. And that gave me a reason to keep doing it. And then when our reunion was over, it just kind of all came to a, to a close and I wonder if I suffered like a kind of a, just a mild, I wouldn't call it depression, but just got a setback. Like, why am I doing this thing anymore? Uh, and so I kind of slowed down, although I did a couple of them. They were really good. I think the one I did with Brett Peckis was one of the better ones with, with me and Holly. And then also uh, Brigadier General Mike Eastman was great. And Heather uh, Burris was awesome as well. Uh, but then it just kind of sloughed off. And I apologize for that. I've gotten a couple emails from classmates. I've talked to a few people. They're like, hey, you got to keep doing it. Like, it was such a great thing. Why'd you stop doing it? And I guess a combination of things, you know, I think maybe the post-COVID, you know, kind of funk that we all go through, I just didn't feel like doing it anymore. And uh, also, like, in general, like, uh, work just got really busy and it's just, like, never a good reason. And plus, it's hard to chase people down, I have to say. It is hard to chase people down to do this thing. And I've got a process. I want to try to talk a little bit about this process here in this, in this monologue uh, later on about what it is that we need to do to keep it going. Uh, but anyway, so uh, one thing people ask me quite a bit is uh, which one is my favorite, my favorite uh, podcast that I've done. And I honestly say there is not a favorite podcast that I have, but I have some favorite moments. And so through this monologue, I want to highlight some of those favorite moments for you and tell you a little bit more about the meaning for me personally, and then also tie that into a continued uh, mission to uh, continue to do the Old Grab Podcast in 2023. And so here I am, December 31st, 2022, and my New Year's resolution for 2023 is to get at least 12 of these episodes done, one per month. Should be easy. I mean, considering the fact that in the first three years, from 2020, 2018 to 2021, I did 54 episodes. So we should be able to do 12, 12 a year. And there have been a number of people that have indicated they would have some interest in doing it. So I'm looking forward to interviewing them. I'm going to keep the modified format of having a co-host. Um, Holly, uh, Holly West is one co-host. Um, Bernard Seeger is another. I may pick up a few other co-hosts later on too. I think uh, one of the best things is if you've done the podcast, if you've been a guest, you, you'd also be a great host because you know what the process is. We've been through it. And, uh, and so if you have an interest in being uh, a host and you've also been a guest, uh, please let me know. Uh, so with that being said, I'm going to highlight a couple of my favorite points from the podcasts in the past. 
This first clip is with General Bramlett. I was able to get General Bramlett actually through connecting via a couple different uh, contacts. I actually got his email through, who did I get it from? Through Rich Gordon. Rich Gordon, who lives in Hawaii, found his email on like a distribution list of like, you know, army veterans from Hawaii. And then I reached out to him and that's how I connected with him. And he reluctantly at first agreed to do it. And then when he learned about the OGRAP podcast, he was excited to do the podcast. But so in, in prepping for this, I have got this, I've got this like um, this prep sheet where I ask these questions and we look, we do a pre-call and we identify through the pre-call like what might be memorable conversations to have about like rich content rich stories and so it was on the pre-call that i identified with him you know there, there's two events that happened while you were a cadet that i would love to talk about the one is the assassination of president john f kennedy and the second one was the duty on our country speech by general MacArthur. and so you know we, we only just really touched on it very lately in the pre-call to keep the actual conversation uh just fresh and 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 uh you know, not uh, scripted, so so to speak. And so we end up co having the conversation. And then we end up with this whole secondary area, which we hadn't talked about in the pre-call, which was probably the most fascinating of it all, which was him talking about his battalion, his cadet battalion, practicing for General MacArthur's funeral. Because unbeknownst to me, I hadn't really put the timeline together, but General MacArthur, he gave the duty on our country speech. He was pretty close to the end of his life when he gave that speech i mean he was uh, he, he only died about a year or so later after that speech i always had visions of a you know much more vibrant general macarthur giving that speech but he was really a, quite an elderly man when he gave it and so i'd asked him about whether general schwarzkopf was planning to have such a similar farewell to arms type speech and uh and Bramlett said, no, not at all. Like, like you know, the, the, there were two different types of um, timelines in somebody's life that they were giving the speeches. But the, the cool thing was Bramlett talking about preparing for MacArthur's funeral because they wanted to have, you know, a, a tight, kind of like dress right, dressed uh, uh, ceremony for General MacArthur and with the cadets going down there and having practiced like some type of uh, funeral detail. But they also didn't want to be practicing uh, prior to General MacArthur's death. And I guess West Point got noticed that MacArthur was, you know, basically, you know, hours away from dying or, or days away from dying. And they began practicing for his funeral before he was dead, which is kind of interesting, right? So MacArthur is basically not yet dead. And the cadets are practicing his funeral, which is kind of interesting to hear that dynamic as uh, General Bramlett reflects on that. So at the end of this little vignette, listen for that. It was a shock uh, when Kennedy was assassinated, as, as you would have read and seen films. It was stunned. But then the tradition, when a president dies, then you assemble the troops and inform them the commander-in-chief is dead. And so I think it was a day after the assassination, the Corps cadets, we were assembled out on the parade field uh, as if we were going to do a parade. We marched out there, no weapons, stood at attention, and somebody read uh, the announcement that, that uh, President John F. Kennedy, the commander-in-chief, is dead. And that struck all of us. And that is a tradition when that happens. And then we marched. I can't remember if we slow marched back in, but then we marched. There wasn't a word said. 
other than draws attention, present arms, and then the announcement was read, and then we marched off quietly and back to the barracks. Uh, MacArthur's speech, um, it was, um, he received the Thayer Award, and it was relatively new, it was 1962, I believe. And the firsties were uh, not allowed to leave after the last class. In those days, after the last class, firsties on weekend would take off. They didn't have to go to lunch. But because it was the Thayer Award, and MacArthur was going to accept it and give a speech, the firsties were restricted to not leaving until after uh, MacArthur's after lunch, MacArthur's speech. So I was a yearling and um, we were sitting there and first these were just griping because they had to stay here to listen to this old man talk. <laughs> and, and remember now, 1962, many of these firsties were going to be fighting for their lives in three or four years in Vietnam. Uh, we knew about Vietnam. We knew Laos and we knew Southeast Asia was, was, was something was going on. But MacArthur gave that speech, and as you've, you've read, um, or maybe uh, there was no notes. And we know now that he rehearsed it, but he didn't use a note. We could watch him. But as he talked, I remember just watching the firsties with tears streaming down their eyes. These were the same guys at my table, you know, pissing and moaning about not going on weekend. And the gravity of what he was saying you know, the long musket roar and the last words will be the core and the duty on a country. That whole speech, two-thirds of the way through, I looked down the, the table and the firsties to the man were tears streaming down their eyes. They weren't sniveling, crying. They were just moved by the emotion of the words. They were as dramatic as they, when you read them and you hear the recording, uh, it, was, it was an amazing uh, moment in my life to, to listen to that speech and watch the impact on the Corps cadets. You could hear a pin drop. And you've been in that mess hall and how noisy it is. There was zero noise. Nobody moved. Do you recall, was it when he first started talking, was it like that? Like it was a pin drop or like he started talking, uh, people realized that this was going to be like, like an amazing speech that he was giving and then all of a sudden people just got down to a hush and they listened uh they didn't wait for the amazing speech part I, I, you know when he started there's a normal rustling as everybody gets comfortable right uh, when, when you listen to the recording you can hear that and uh, i'd say three five minutes into it people were calming down and then the the magnificence of the words i mean they, they they're almost poetic they are. Well, I mean, clearly, you said he, he practiced it, right? So, I mean, yeah, I just, it. it was an amazing speech, and I've listened to it a gazillion times. It makes my, I get goosebumps when I hear it. It means so much to me. Um, like, I, I, I can only imagine having been in your shoes and having listened to it, you know, live. Um, it just, just incredible. So, clearly, I mean, this guy's saying to himself, this is my... This is my departure. This is my, I'm leaving words. I'm, I'm going to impact this institution with my words and my departing comments. Do you think Schwarzkopf was thinking the same thing when he came and spoke to my class, uh, when he spoke to the Corps of Cadets in 91? I mean, clearly that was a super rehearsed speech. He, he did a tremendous yeah. delivery. To, I remember still to this day, you know, if you want to be a 21st century leader, 
you, know, you have to have character. You have to have this. He talked about Audie Murphy. He talked about his, you know, various classmates. It's probably the same thing. That was his MacArthur moment, right? I, I don't think so. I, I, uh, I, coincidentally, I was looking through the, the, the things I kept from West Point, and I, I, have, I have his speech. Now, I think uh, Schwarzkopf was younger. He was dynamic, and he had, a, he had years ahead of him. And I think he, he, he was happy to be back as alma mater. He loved West Point, as, as you, you and your class picked up. And I think it was a different, uh, he wanted to be memorable because he wanted to be memorable. But I don't think he saw it as the farewell to arms. MacArthur knew, um, I think MacArthur died a year later. Uh, by the way, coincidentally, uh, the battalion I was in, Cadet Battalion, we were selected to march in his funeral. Well, that was a whole different experience because MacArthur wrote his whole funeral right down to, he, he, he right down to everything. Every detail was, was written by MacArthur. And I was, uh, was honored to be uh, in the battalion that went down to stand. He had us, he prescribed the Corps cadets would march first behind the casket and they would, uh, I forget where we were behind the casket, but he had a standing outside where he lie, he lie in state at the armory in New York City. And he had the Corps, the battalion. We stood at attention for hours. Um, I think attention, pray, rest, attention, pray, rest. While we, all these dignitaries would walk by us and go up the steps into the armory to pay their respects. He, he was in a casket um, open casket. He had his crushed hat in his corncob pipe. He had it um, on a little table next to his casket. He directed his hat would be there, his corncob pipe. So people would go up the steps. They, we would watch them all. We'd, of course, we would whisper, who is that? Who is that? Who is that? <laughs> Trying to identify all the dignitaries. And then we, we marched. We took his uh, remains to the train station. And he directed that what music would be played, nothing at the funeral march. Funeral march is 108 per. He said, no, I want quick step, 120 per, and I want peppy songs. Hmm. Uh, we, were, we were briefed confidentially on this whole plan when he was failing. And the, the, um, the, the, we, they didn't have it during your era, but we had a, a, a major who was Mr. Drill and Ceremonies he was a badly wounded veteran of World War II, and, and he was allowed to stay there. And he briefed us all and, and told us we would be shot at sunrise if we leaked. We were rehearsing MacArthur's funeral before he was dead. So, I mean, we were scared wow. to death to leak any of it. But so when he died, we immediately got ready and went uh, on order down to New York City and participated in the funeral. Right. So That was another great event. To, to your earlier point, clearly he knew that, I mean, if, if you were a yearling when the duty on our country speech and you were still a cadet when he died, he was really very close to the end when he gave that speech. Oh, yeah. I was like Cal. I, he died in 63. And, you know, I, I'm a little shaky on date. But mm -hmm. I, I seem to recall he died the next year. No, he was clearly frail and old. When you wow. see, see pictures of him, uh, then he, he's uh, almost re unrecognizable from the robust figure of World War II in Korea. I really enjoyed having my conversation with Mark Beeger, who at the time of the 
of the interview was chief of staff uh, at West Point for uh, first General Caslin and then for General Williams, and so we had a great conversation. And uh, you know, I didn't know Mark very well at West Point. I don't think I knew him at all. But we, you know, really, I think just and as as is the case with many of these podcasts, I don't know people. I, I know of them, or we know we have friends or friends, but I'd never served with Mark. I don't think I had a class with Mark. But we ended up just having so much. A, talk about because of the common trait of having gone to West Point and served in the Army and whatnot. But, um, and we also had this common linkage that we played each other in the Brigade Championship uh, for basketball. And uh, his company, uh, Company A4, uh, beat our company. Uh, they beat uh, Company F1. And so we're just having this random conversation. And I have like this list of like just random topics to kind of go through and and I just I went I went this one question which I asked and he really wasn't prepared for it but he answered it so beautifully I, I asked him I said if you could go back in time and live a moment of your cadet life what would that be and he immediately quipped back it probably would be that time that we beat F1 in the Brigade Championship, which was so funny. Uh, but then he actually talked about a more serious thing, which I thought was also awesome and also funny, which was um, him asking his wife, uh, Amy, to marry him. And uh, it just goes to show, as is the case with so many of these situations, things don't go exactly as they're scripted. And uh, he tells this great story. And so have a listen. Thankfully, you know, when you do, and I just saw Pat Mullen stop by here. Um, I think his, uh, he was dropping his uh, son off for SLE at the beginning of the summer. And uh, so we got to spend some time with him. And it was like, you know, no time had passed. So thankfully, it's, um, you know, we're, I think, you know, we're that close that, um, you know, we can reconnect instantly. If you could go back in time, and, and you're not prepared for this question, so maybe you don't have an answer, but if you could go back in time and relive like one hour of your cadet life, what would that hour be? Like, can you think of something like, like that's like so memorable from your time that you were like, I would love to go back to that, that single moment. Yeah. Probably when we crushed uh, F1 in that, uh, <laughs> that basketball game. I that set myself so up good. for that one. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess so. That's probably, that's probably the, the one that I would not go back to. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know if we crushed. I don't remember. But the, uh, I, I'm, I'm sentimental. So my, you know, the, the, the two, the two things I'm thankful for, well, they're fine but the two biggest things are my classmates and, uh, and then my, my wife. So if I, I could probably try, you know, I, I proposed to her down by the, uh, the river court, river courts. I could have rehearsed. I could have done that a little bit better, but if I could relive, you know, one hour, it was probably the hour that I, that I asked her to marry me. I know that's kind of, no, that's no. Wait, wait, so let's take, let's, you are the second one telling a proposal story, by the way, uh, on the old dad <laughs> podcast. So the first one was, was Kim Evans talking about getting proposed to in the in the in the basement of the barracks with a cockroach on the uh, so that, that that was her story. So so um so so where were you like how 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 did this go down? Well, she had um, she just well she decided you know she did her I guess that was her yearling no right before cow year she had done that summer it was like a b squad leader she loved it she had, you know, she did a great job of course but she just she, she knew that she, you know she wanted to do something else so she had, she had decided to leave i had bought oh this is good this is kind of a silly story but i had uh you know i'd saved all my money which is it wasn't much da sims uh he was um we were doing buckner one together he was coming commander i was first started i could tell you a thousand da sims stories too that would take another hour of the podcast but uh 
he was unbelievable. I mean, he's unbelievable to today. I mean, he's one of the biggest impacts on me, you know, personally, professionally. But so, you know, he helped me pick out the ring. It's all I could afford. It was a tiny little thing. I held on to it in my little wall locker there, uh, my little lockbox at uh, Buckner. Cause I, you know, I didn't want to, it's a silly story. I'm, I'm sharing way too much, but, um, you know, I, I didn't want that to influence her decision at all. But she, so she decided she came back for ring weekend. You know, so she had already made the transfer and she came back for ring weekend. She was staying with the Browns and, um, I, uh, you know, no, no imagination. I took her to, to their hotel. We had a nice dinner. You know, I, you know, I had the ring there and I was, you know, squeezing in my pocket the whole, the whole meal. She had to have dessert. So that took like, you know, a whole another 45 minutes, which mm-hmm. was killing me. And, uh, and then we, we got out. It started raining, but it wasn't really raining that bad. So we drove down. You know, I had this whole thing kind of scripted in my, you know, it was going to be a beautiful sunset at night. Yeah. But we get to the river courts and it's rain, It's raining. It's not, it's not raining that hard. We could have got out of the car, but she refused to get out of the car. So I'm like, dang, I go, will you at least roll down the window? So I get out of the car. I go around to the other side. She barely rolls down the window and I stick the, the ring through the window and I'm like, hey, do you want to get married or what? And uh, <laughs> it was terrible. So if I could do that over again, I would, there would be, there'd be, a, it'd be a different script. Actually, come to think of it, this is the third, the third. Um... It is really ironic and hard to believe when you think about the timing of my interview with uh, Sam Yinkst, who is an infectious disease uh, specialist. He's a uh, uh, doctor of veterinary medicine and has worked for the CDC. And in part of our conversation, we started talking about uh, the uh, potential for a global pandemic. And this was actually in December of 2019, right as COVID was beginning to percolate. And we didn't even know what COVID was. And he talks about uh, the economic impact uh, being so significant relative to uh, relative to the type of, uh, uh, I guess, global hysteria that could happen. And uh, really prescient conversation and insightful for him to have uh, to talk to me about this at, at the way that he did. And uh, so this is a quite interesting conversation. Probably one of my jobs when, when I was at Dietrich. I, I, worked on, um, I worked on anthrax a little bit, um, mostly peripherally, but I worked on um, three other diseases that thankfully nobody's ever heard of, um, but that we played around with and then the Russians played around with um, developing them as, as bio threats that could be, you know, put in misters or, or whatever. How, how far away are we from something like that? Actually, like, are we just like, like all these, the, the, the movies and all the, like this kind of like paranoia or like this hysteria that they, that they depict in these movies. Is that real? Could that really happen? Like in the course of like three weeks, like a billion people die. So there's nothing, you know, aside from smallpox, um, there, there's, there's no agent, not even Ebola. There's, there's nothing that is simultaneously, um, transmissible and, um, has a, has that kind of case fatality ratio. The only, the only thing is smallpox. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's why, that's why we have this organization, DITRA, Defense Threat Reduction Agency. That's how it started, by the way. I mean, there were, there were two things. It was, it was nuked, it was, but it was both Kazakhstan. When, when Soviet Union broke up, um, in, in Kazakhstan, there were loose nukes and there were literally cans like, like, you know, Campbell's soup cans full of anthrax. And, you know, that's, that's why we created, um, DITRA. Uh, but so if, if there's, if there's smallpox out there, yes, that is possible. That is absolutely possible. But 
and all the other agents like you know Ebola. Um, you know, there's just nothing else that that is that's just going to you know kill an entire population. But you know, the devastation. You remember back in 2015-14, um, we had a nurse that was working in West Africa, and um, she went back to Dallas or somewhere, and um, and somebody measured the uh, the economic impact of that, and it was in the billions of dollars. So, you know, you don't have to have, um, you know, a million people die or even a thousand people die. You just have to have complete freak out paranoia. And all it takes is, is you know, one Ebola case that's actually isolated and not exposing anybody else. And the economic impact is massive. And we're, I, I don't know, I don't know if these, you know, if the terminology of this kind of stuff is widely um, used, uh, but, but we refer to this as, as global health security. So, you know, DITRA kind of morphed into this um, concept that, that actually ex- extended ultimately beyond um, beyond DOD, and um, it became a substantially funded effort, and, and we refer to it as global health security, so there doesn't have to be a different, you know, connection necessary. But, you know, it is a fact that, and, and that is one of the reasons that, that we're here. That is one of the reasons that CDC put so much effort into um, managing the Ebola outbreak uh, in DRC. It, it's, it's a little thinner, quite honestly, in regard to HIV, but fundamentally, you, you can put everything that we do in infectious disease to include the DOD overseas labs and all of that under global health security and, you know, it's, it's stability. Because, yes, um, the, um, you know, biologically, technologically, um, all that is possible. The interesting thing that, that I've come to come to realize um, in, in this in this work is that um, there there is a deep revulsion for for the idea of of biological weapons. Then um, few, you know, at, at the risk of um, divulging more than it's probably okay to divulge. Um, there just there just does not seem to be the will. Um. So that's it for now. This is uh, something I may try to do throughout the years. Have these abbreviated old grad podcasts where I highlight different topics and I talk about different uh, different podcasts from the past. Um, I think the common link here is the fact that we have this shared experience, this shared phases of life that we're all going through. And also uh, the shared intimacy and vulnerability that we have as classmates, which really makes this relationship so special. And as we go into the next couple more years, I would love to be able to continue the Old Grad podcast as this vehicle for having our classmates remain close to each other uh, to create and foster um, our relationships uh, with each other and to be there to support each other, to celebrate our successes, to lift each other up. And, and I mean, from a practical standpoint, you know, these next 10 years will continue to be uh, years where we, um, we enter this zone of increasing vulnerability as we age. And it's important for us to be there for each other. And, uh, and that's the beauty, I think, of the relationships that we all have is that, um, you know, we can we be close to one another. We can be uh, vulnerable. We can um, share things and uh, and learn from each other and support each other. And that's what this is all about. And uh, so I personally feel so honored to 
be a member of this great class. And I wish everybody a wonderful, happy, and healthy new year in 2023. As uh, you shall be done. Sounds like these time and time.